country, or humanity at large must be performed in Krishna consciousness. That is the instruction given by the Lord to Kardamuni. Maharaj Yudhisthira welcomed Kardamuni. Quote, wherever you are present, that place becomes sanctified because the Lord himself is always seated in your heart. Similarly, if we act in Krishna consciousness under the direction of the Lord and his representative, then everything is sanctified. That's the key word here. Prabhupada repeats. This is the indication given to Kardamuni, who acted on it, and therefore received the most excellent wife and child, as will be disclosed in later verses. Srila Prabhupada ki. Om Ajnana Timurandasya Gyanam Janasalakayam Chakshuram Gritam Jena Tasmai Sri Gurave Namaha I was born in the darkest ignorance, and my spiritual master is very kindly opening my eyes with the torch of knowledge. I offer my respectful obeisances unto him. So, my title for the class. <laughs> How Krishna Purifies Our Passions. As I think I mentioned in the previous class, uh, the Bhagavatam is called Paramhamsa Samhita. So, uh, because you don't generally find topics for how to do things, uh, material advancement. It doesn't, it's, not the, it's not a text for Pravritti Mark trying to improve our lot in the material world. It's, it's beyond Karmakanda, Gyanakanda, trying to you know, improve yourself uh, materially. So then, uh, as I mentioned, why do all of a sudden we have all these uh, verses? texts and purports, elaborations, on how to go through the Grihastha Ashram rite, and has been, has been pointed out, because that's the way we get to where we want to go. It's the Paramahamsa Samhita, so back to Godhead is where we want to go, and, and, and being free from all material desires. But there's a process, a way to do that. And so it's, uh, as we hear Prabhupada and Krishna say too, it's a gradual process. But we do have to get there. Because if death approaches us, and we never know when death is coming, we actually um, have to be free of material desires. So there is a whole life plan that the Lord has for us, and he's outlining that for Kardamuni, his dear devotee, who had the order to beget good progeny. Um, and so he's approaching the Lord for it, how to do it. I thought it would be interesting uh, to take a look at, how do I put it here, verses and purports recently read and soon to be read where, where Prabhupada, he's specific, he's, he's fleshing, really fleshing it out, how to do it right, how to go from where we are back to Godhead, and for most people, you know, through the Grihasta Ashram. So let's take a look at that. I'm just going to first of all look at just very recently read passages, and perhaps we can uh, reflect on them some more. 
first one is today's text for 2930, so I'm just going to look at passages from what we just did, uh, Kirtan and Atula Prabhu's. So in text 27, uh, Prabhupada's talking a lot about the virtue, the wisdom of supervised ma marriages, which is so different modern ethic. I mean, if the press, if we had a classic arranged marriage here, and then the press got wind of it, I'm sure the press would be very sarcastic about it. That, you know, they think it'd be some horrible cult thing, you know. Although, because we're so well established in Tucson, maybe they think twice, maybe they send somebody out to actually get the backstory. <laughs> that would be nice. So, um, okay, so 321.27 purports, it's not long, I'll just reread it and see what we think again about Prabhupada's words. The selection of a good husband for a good girl was always entrusted to the parents. That's just the way it was. Because they, they knew, if you just, you know, when we're of marriageable age, if, we just, if we're just uh, following the authority of our passions, there's, I think, Priya's uh, following the authority of our patent, authority used, you know, facetiously, then we'll probably make the wrong choice because it's, uh, it's superficial considerations based on mutual attraction, boy-girl. So we need, and that should be there, ideally, but that shouldn't be the main thing. That shouldn't be where we stop. So Prabhupada writes, the selection of a good husband for a good girl was always entrusted to the parents. Here it is clearly stated that Manu and his wife were coming to see Cardinal to offer their daughter because the daughter was well qualified and the parents were searching out a similarly qualified man. This is the duty of parents. So I've known Grihastas in our ISKCON history who their daughter comes of marriageable age and their daughter is they see the wisdom of their parents helping her. She's not going to just go elope with some guy. So, uh, at least on two occasions, I've, and these are very senior, responsible uh, godbrothers of mine, they, and they did just say it to me, they said they obviously were approaching other godbrothers. Uh, Suresh Prabhu, if you happen to meet in your travels a nice-looking young man, and uh, you don't have to tell him that I'm approaching you about scouting out, you know, a nice young man of looking for a wife. And uh, so you might want to you know, just do a kind of informal interview, just try to get to know him. So that was, that was nice that they were sincerely searching. And in at least one case I know, yeah, the parents did finally settle on a good a man for their daughter. This is the duty of parents. And then Prabhupada says, girls are never thrown into the public street. Really radical, right? But you think about it, and that's generally what happens. When girls, uh, um, I mean, not if not physically thrown into the street, but then because the goal of, the, of our society is sense gratification, so, and then they see it all in the media, so they just start, you know, uh, making themselves look more and more attractive, that's more attractive. 
and then they uh, and then they they put themselves out of the market. They're kind of canvassing. You know, this is really not the way it's done. And then, of course, the results are very dramatic. For when a girl, for when girls are grown up and are searching after a boy, they forget to consider whether the boy they select is actually suitable for them. Yeah, they're just thinking the short term because that's that's what passion does. Out of the urge of sex desire, a girl may accept anyone, but if the husband is chosen by the parents, they can consider who is to be selected and who is not. Okay. According to the Vedic system, therefore, the girl is given over to a suitable boy by the parents because the values are spiritual. Now, that's how it's going to work, you know, during the, the honeymoon or the romance years, but how it's going to work out for the long term, partners in self and God realization. She is never allowed to select her own husband independently. Okay. And then in text 28, which is just yesterday, uh, Prabhupada's talking about the difference between, excuse me, uh, Prabhupada talked about the necessity of, of, of God's grace to attain a good spouse. It's not just, um, it's, it's not just by luck or even our own endeavors, but we actually have to have the grace of God to get a good spouse. Okay, so Srila Prabhupada writes, get a nice wife, just as he desires. Now, if it's really the grace of God, it's a nice wife that isn't going to just be, you know, nice for a while, but it will be, you know, a life partner, as they say. Uh, similarly, it is, it is only by God's grace that a girl gets a husband suitable to her heart. Thus it is said that if we pray to the Supreme Lord in every transaction of our material existence, everything will be done very nicely and just suitable to our heart's desire. In other words, in all circumstances, we must take shelter of the Supreme Personality of Godhead and depend completely on His decision. That, means, that doesn't mean we don't do anything. We don't make some endeavor, but ultimately we leave it in... Uh, the Lord's hands. Man proposes, God disposes. The fulfillment of desires, therefore, should be entrusted to the Supreme Personality of Godhead. That is the nicest solution. You know, usually in, in writing, if you use the word nice, it's considered lame. Be more descriptive, Prabhu. But Prabhupada uses the word so nicely <laughs> that there's a certain charm about the way Prabhupada uses the word nice. He uses it a lot. Krishna consciousness is so nice, you would say. I mean, it's, <laughs> it could mean so many things, and it's like an understatement, but Prabhupada liked to use that word. Kardamuni desired only a wife, but because he was a devotee of the Lord, the Lord selected. Just think, he, he, he had the darshan of the Lord, and all he wanted was a wife. 
but the Lord gave them the, the best life for the ultimate benefit of them, and as we'll see, for the whole world, when the Lord becomes their His own Son. But because he was a devotee of the Lord, the Lord selected a wife for him who was the emperor's daughter, a princess. Wow! A princess. <laughs> got a princess, but not an ordinary princess. Not just a prima donna, you know, Miss America, whatever. Thus, Karna Muni got a wife beyond his expectation. If we depend on the choice of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, we will receive benedictions in greater opulence than we desire. And I think we talked somewhat about, a lot about that. Okay, so now we're going to go, that's recent reports, recently read, and soon to read. Now we're going to look ahead a little bit, and you'll see more how uh, Prabhupada is helping us get back to Godhead, specifically in, in terms of the Grihasta Ashram. Um, and the next one, uh, I discovered 322.11, let's look at 3.22, that's the next chapter. And the next chapter is the marriage of Karna Muni and Devahuti. So in 3.22.11, we are look, Prabhupada's looking at the difference between Grihamedi and Grihastha life. This is a very common theme. As Prabhupada knew, as he was traveling around the world and preaching to us Kali Yugans, how we're trained how to be Grihamedis. If we marry at all, we're trained how to be materialistic family people and not spiritual family people. Okay. Um, so Srila Prabhupada writes, A wife should not only be equal to her husband in age, character and qualities, but must be helpful to him in his household duties. The household duty of a man is not to satisfy his sense gratification. So first it said the wife should be helpful, but now it says what the man should be. Uh, is not to satisfy his sense gratification, but to remain with a wife and children, and at the same time, attain advancement in spiritual life. We mentioned the parallel, Srila Bhaktivinoda talks about the parallel rails on the train track. So we usually, to continue the metaphor, go off the rails when all of a sudden the two tracks aren't parallel anymore. One is threatening the other. The husband is, oh, I, I don't want to work anymore, I just want to go off and chant. You know? Or he just works, works, works and neglects his, his ashram duties. So they have to be parallel. What who does not do so is not a householder, but a grihamedi. Two words are used in Sanskrit literature. One is a grihastha, and the other is grihamedi. The difference between grihamedi and grihastha is that grihastha is also an ashram. It's also a phase of life that where you just put down your beads and the books and you just go work, work, work. All work and no play makes Johnny a dull bhakta. Right? Uh, for a Grihamedi, so Grihasta is also an ashram, a spiritual order 
But if one simply satisfies his senses as a householder, then he is a grihamedi. In San Francisco, Prabhupada told the devotees, so grihasta ashram, it's a kind of license for sense gratification. But don't take it. In other words, don't indulge in the name of you know, being a great uh, family man. Um, for a grihamedi, to accept a wife means to satisfy the senses. But for a grihasta, a qualified wife is an assistant in every respect for advancement in spiritual activities. It is the duty of the wife to take charge of household affairs. So she's the, in charge of the house, right? Uh, and not to compete with the husband. A wife is meant to help, but she cannot help her husband unless he is completely equal to her in age, character, and quality. I think I mentioned in the previous class how um, my god sister Shilavati, elderly lady, she came in her 30s and she came with her husband and she had a hard time because her husband was trying to be a devotee but he couldn't follow the principles and she was getting exasperated and so she wrote Prabhupada a letter about her woes and Prabhupada wrote back and said, actually it doesn't matter who surrenders to whom, if you're more Krishna conscious, you can be the guru of your husband. Usually the wife, you know, likes to look up to the husband as the pati guru. And, but then Prabhupada said in this case, as it was kind of upside down and backwards, it doesn't matter who surrenders to whom. So, ultimately, Shilavati prevailed and her, you know, her husband couldn't make it, but at least he tried. No loss or diminution. It is the duty of the wife to take charge of household affairs and not to compete with the husband. A wife is meant to help, but she cannot help her husband unless he is completely equal to her in age, character, and quality. So we're going to come up to that now because it's really, it's much easier if the husband is equal to or superior to the wife. Let's see here. So that was 322.11. And then 322.15 are the deciding factors in choosing a wife. So this is still the same chapter, Marriage of Karna, Muni, and Dilahui. Fast forward a few verses. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay, so Srila Prabhupada writes in his purport, there were many considerations by Kardama Muni before accepting the daughter of Svayambhuva Manu. Most important is that Devahuti had first of all fixed her mind on marrying him. Okay, there's a good one, huh? What's the Vedic, remember what Prabhupada writes, say, the lady, the, the girl, when she, the first girl, the first man she gives her heart to, it's very hard for her to ever forget that man. Remember? I forget where he says that. Might be in this section. Um, <laughs> yeah. When I tried remarriage with a French god sister, uh, she introduced me to her old boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> oh la la. Success formula. <laughs> right. <laughs> no. 
So uh, she was always talking about Michel. Now Michel is, is Michael in French. Uh, not Michel, Michael, not Michel, but Michel. And so she would, because we were trying to get to know each other, you know. And so I said, oh, so, well, how did you grow up? And, oh, yeah. So did you ever have a boyfriend? Oh, yeah, Michel. <laughs> so she told me all about Michel. And Michel was still, still in touch with her, right? <laughs> because he had, you know, she had joined the Hare Krishnas in France when she was, um, yeah, she was 19, yeah. She ran away because she was mad after God, you know. I was mad after God. And then, uh, so Michelle was sad that his girlfriend of many years <laughs> had chosen God. But he actually, he was a good guy because he wished her well. And, but he could also never forget, uh, uh, <laughs> forget her name. <laughs> <laughs> Veronique, Ver Veronica, we would say. Veronique. So, uh, so then, <laughs> so then, uh, so he married, and then, uh, but then it didn't work out. So he had contacted Veronique. Comment va tu, Veronique? Je t'aime, je t'aime. I still love you. <laughs> well, I'm a. Uh, Anyway, well, it was what it was. So, uh, so, <laughs> so he, so he was living not far actually from where she was living in uh, Loch, La La Valois, not far from Yamayapur. And so, uh, uh, and so, she, so when I was asking her about her, you know, growing up, she said. Would you like to meet him? <laughs> sure. Let's meet the old boyfriend. Let's get it all. Let's let all the cards on the table. <laughs> Let's let it all hang out. You know? So we, uh, what did we do? We met and we took a walk. We went to a castle. We went to the uh, Chateau de François le Premier, the castle of uh, Francois the first, yeah, one of the old French kings. It's a big, yeah, nice place, great place. So we were walking and talking, you know. So sometimes, so she also brought a girlfriend. So she knew because she knew that when the guys got together, that we would pair her off, and then, you know, she would pair off with a girlfriend. Krishna Kanti, David Dasi came and. Uh, and uh, Michelle. <laughs> so <laughs> we went to the castle. Yeah, <laughs> it was a cool castle. So uh, and then we got and then we parted ways and then um, then we got back to her pad. Uh, apartment in French. Anyway, um, so then I said. Uh, you know, he's a real nice guy. <laughs> By this time, I was having a hard time. You know, deciding because I could see she was tough. She even told me that I'm tough. 
Well, lovers blind and lovers cannot see the folly that they themselves commit. She was smitten and I was smitten. But that was passion. (laughs) Couldn't see down the road. So I said, uh, are you sure you want to get married? Because it looks like Michelle really still likes you a lot. You were his girlfriend. You were his, uh, you were smitten with him. No, 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 he's not. Uh, Il n'est pas un devotee. He's not a devotee. Je dois, I must marry a devotee. Okay. (laughs) So, uh, boy, I really digress there, huh? Uh, All right, let's see, how did I get into that? (laughs) Okay, let's let's keep going. (laughs) Oh. Krishna is so kind. I survived. <laughs> I survived and thrived by the grace of uh, Srimati. <laughs> uh, anyway, okay, let's go. There were many considerations by Karna Muni before accepting the daughter as fine Bhuvamana. Most important is that Devahuti had first of all fixed her mind area on marrying him. She did not choose to have any, any other man. Uh, as her husband. Oh, here it is. This is that is a great consideration because female psychology dictates that when a woman here it is. I didn't obviously read the whole purport. When a woman offers her heart to a man for the first time, it is very difficult for her to take it back. That's why they were married. At least you know, set at puberty. Yeah. And then the girl knows, this is my husband. I don't have to put myself on the open market. This is my husband. You know, I, I'm okay. I, he's a nice, very nice boy. Because they do it, Jyotish. They, they do. They do the families. You know, there's a whole support system for a good marriage. Not just open market. At the bar, you know. Um... Very difficult to take it back. Also, she had not married before. She was a virgin girl. All these considerations convinced Kardamuni to accept her. Therefore, he said, yes, I shall accept your daughter under religious regulations of marriage, because he had a good goal of life, and so did she. They were both uh, sadhus, sadhvi and sadhu. There are different kinds of marriages, of which the first-class marriage is held by inviting a suitable bridegroom for the daughter and giving her in charity, well-dressed and well-decorated with ornaments, along with a dowry according to the means of the father. There are other kinds of marriage, such as Gandharva marriage and marriage by love, which is the standard today, just superficial love, you know, in quotes, which are also accepted as marriage. Even if one is forcibly kidnapped and later on accepted as a wife, that is also accepted. Now that's, you know, the Vedic days. That's what Krishna did with Rukmini. And Rukmini wrote him a letter. Had never even met him. But just by hearing about Krishna, Rukmini knew, this is the one. I won't be satisfied unless I have Krishna. He's the best. So she wrote her a letter. And of course, Krishna knows everything. So he said, ah, oh, but Kardam and many 
snatched her away during her Svayamvara. Uh, because a princess could do that. She could choose. She could choose uh, the husband. She was qualified. Because she was beautiful and she was raised perfectly controlled and yeah. So Rukmini was really getting worried because there were all these princes, all the guys who would come, you know, drooling over Rukmini's beauty and with their, you know, all buff and with their bows and arrows and you know. But then, then finally, Krishna came in, and Rukmini knew it was him just because she had heard about it. Ah, this must be Krishna. And Krishna spotted her, and Krishna just immediately put her on the chariot like a lion uh, snatches, what is it? Like a lion, I forget how it is, snatches a deer away from other, I forget what the metaphor is, but you get the idea. And then they all were stunned. They crushed again. Do this. So they all went after him. And Krishna just defeated them all. But Kardamuni accepted the first class way of marriage because the father was willing and the daughter was qualified. She had never offered her heart to anyone else. All these considerations made Kardamuni agree to accept the daughter of Svayambhuvamana. He wanted the first class pure girl because he had just done 10,000 years of tapas meditation. He was pure consciousness. She was pure. Those were the days, my friends. But that's okay. It's Kali Yuga. And it's almost a given that the time, by the time, and that's for children of devotees, by the time we come to the shelter of Prabhupada's movement, we've already been ruined many times over. Okay, let's look at one more before we go to Q&A for more reflections. Okay, so 322.19, just a few verses later in the Prabhupada's. And this verse, Srila Prabhupada talks about the importance of begetting children for the Lord's service. Who to thunk? We forgot that's what it's for. Sexuality, right? Okay, so, well, I'll just read the verse too. This is nice. This is the conclusion, the Kardam's conclusion. Therefore, I shall accept this chaste girl as my wife on the condition that after she bears semen from my body, I shall accept the life of devotional service accepted by the most perfect human beings. That process was, was described by Lord Vishnu. It is free from envy. So, if the agreement was, as soon as she uh, has a son by him, it's, they're going to have daughters because sages are going to marry their daughters and then to populate the universe. That's part of the duty that Kardam has from Brahma. He doesn't want to disappoint Brahma like the, like the Kumaras did. <laughs> so uh, these daughters are going to marry and, pop and bring forth good progeny and then he's going to have a son who is none other than the Lord himself. And so, Kardam says to Devahuti, well, then I'm going to leave. And she's fine with that. Because she's also a saintly person and she wants to hear from that son. Uh, okay. So, let's see. Here's the purport. All right. Uh, okay. 
parents should see to it that the child born of them does not enter the womb of a mother again. Unless one can train a child for liberation in that life, there is no need to marry or produce children. If human society produces children like cats and dogs for the disturbance of social order, then the world becomes hellish. Sound familiar? As it has in this age of Kali. <coughs> In this age, neither parents nor their children are trained. <laughs> wow. Free for all, right? Both are, both are animalistic and simply eat, sleep, mate, defend, and gratify their senses. This disorder in social life cannot bring peace to human society. Kardamuni explains beforehand that he would not associate with the girl Devahuti for the whole duration of his life, which is also the system, even today. It's not till death do us part, unless the whole family evolves so much, like Bhaktivinoda Thakur, but there's no need to, for the wife to go off and the husband to go off. They're just, they're growing, they're giving, their desires are getting purified, right, in the, in the Grihastha Ashram, because they're intensely worshipping the deity, honoring Prasad together, hearing Bhagavad together, chanting Hare Krishna together, and they're falling in love with Krishna. So their desires are getting purified right in that ashram. That's pretty rare, but it happens. Kardamuni explains before that he would not associate with the girl Devahuti for the whole duration of his life. He would simply associate with her until she had a child, a son specifically. In other words, sex life should be utilized only to produce a nice child not for any other purpose. Human life is especially meant for complete devotion to the service of the Lord. That is the philosophy of Lord Chaitanya. After fulfilling his responsibility to produce a nice child, one should take sannyas and engage in the perfectional paramahamsa stage. So Prabhupada is here presenting the, the four orders, which Mahaprabhu showed, actually. Uh, well, he didn't show the four orders, but he... Yeah, in effect, he did. Paramhamsa refers to the most highly elevated perfectional stage of life. There are four stages within sannyas life, and Paramahamsa is the highest order. The Srimad Bhagavatam is called the Paramahamsa Samhita, the treatise for the highest class of human beings. The Paramahamsa is free from envy. In other stages, even in the householder stage of life, there is competition and envy, but since the activities of the human being in the Paramahamsa stage are completely engaged in Krishna consciousness or devotional service, there is no scope for envy. In the same order as Kardamuni, about 100 years ago, when Prabhupada brings up, Thakur Bhaktivinoda also wanted to beget the child who could preach the philosophy and teachings of Lord Chaitanya to the fullest extent. By his prayers to the Lord, he had as his child Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Goswami Maharaj, who at the present moment, listen to this, who at the present moment, and Prabhupada wrote this purport in 1971, roughly, who at the present moment is preaching the philosophy of Lord Chaitanya through the, throughout the entire world through his bona fide disciples. 
So that's the attitude of a bona fide spiritual master. That he's being, whatever he's speaking or doing is by the mercy, by the blessings, by the grace of his Guru Maharaj and the whole Parampara. Okay, I'm going to read today's verses again if you have anything to add about the topic is how Krishna purifies our passions. Let's go back to, yeah. Text 30, with your heart, this is the Lord, with your heart cleansed by properly carrying out my command, resigning to me the fruits of all your acts will finally attain to me. So who can think of a Gita verse? I'll read that again. With your heart cleansed by properly carrying out my command, resigning to me the fruits of all your acts, there's the key phrase, you will finally attain to me. Ninth chapter, text 27. Yet Kuroshi, Yet Jehoshi, Udasiya, Yet Tapasyasi, Kamteya, Tat Kurushva, Maragadam. That's it at all. All you do. O son of Kunti, all that you do, all that you eat, all that you offer and give away, as well as all austerities that you may perform, should be done as an offering unto me. And that makes it all yoga. We're not simply doing it for selfish or extended selfish gratification. That completes the circuit. All right. Diradhana Prabhu. Um, that was a very enlightening, cathartic, <laughs> self-psychoanalysis <laughs> you gave us in your own experience. And I hope it has released you from the engram fruit from that experience. It certainly was very beneficial for the audience. <laughs> we also experienced a great releasing of You don't have to repeat my mistakes, folks. Bad energies. So that was that was good. That was really good. Thank you. <laughs> and thank you that I lived and thank you, Lord, I was I lived to tell the tale, man. I survived. <laughs> oh la 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 la. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the that's the duty of our of the elders to the juniors. We don't we can tell you how we what we did wrong and don't you don't do what we did. Personal testimony. Most personal realization. Realization comes from experience. <laughs> yes, we will. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think it's like very, very simple. Yeah, right. You know, you have a, can you do a word search? Did you know? I recorded it. Oh, there it is. Can, what are the words again? I believe it's something similar like giving up your fruits on the meat, you're sure to attain me the perfect and most highest goal. Yeah. That sounds like the 12th chapter. You know, in the twelfth chapter, texts thirteen through twenty, it's it's all about what a pure devotee is like. If you want to know what a pure devotee is like, just go to chapter twelve, texts thirteen through twenty, and uh, yeah, it's really inspiring. So, well, let's just read the verses, and if we come across, because it's it's kind of like that. 
Um, yeah, chapter 12. So that's devotional. It's called devotional service. Chapter 7 through 12 are really all about focusing on pure Shuddha Bhakti. And the whole Gita is Bhakti, but especially in the first six chapters, it's all about acting. It's action. Bhakti, and it's action Bhakti. And the middle six, six, seven through twelve are like pure devotion. And the last six or is uh, knowledge engaged in Krishna service. I mean, that, that's very broad, but... Okay, so one who is not envious, but is a kind friend to all living entities, who does not think himself a proprietor, and is free from false ego. I mean, this is like, wow. Who is equal in both happiness and distress, who is tolerant, always satisfied. Wow. Self-controlled and engaged in devotional service with determination, his mind and intelligence fixed on me. Such a devotee of mind is very dear to me. So that's, it's all these very dear to me verses. And in the last verse, it's very, very dear to me. He by whom no one is put into difficulty, and it was not disturbed by anyone, who is equal poised in happiness and distress, fear and anxiety, is very dear to me. My devotee who is not dependent on the ordinary course of activities, who is pure, expert, without cares, free from all pains, and not striving for some result, is very dear to me. So this is really the target, probably Krishna and then the purport, I'm not even reading the purports. We're really given the target. This is what we want to be when we grow up. One who neither rejoices nor grieves. That means not to the extreme. I mean, those are natural emotions, but who neither laments nor desires, and who renounces both auspicious and inauspicious things, such a devotee is very dear to me. I think I brought up the poem, If by Rudyard Kipling. If you want to, Rudyard Kipling wrote a poem, famous poem called If, and it's, he must have read the Gita because, in fact, he did read the Gita. So it's, it's all about this, only he doesn't end it with coming back to me. He ends it, then you will be a man, my son, if you can if you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, if you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too. You know, he, he, lifts, he, he goes to all these dualities. And then at the end he says, and if you can, uh, yeah. The earth will be, mo the, earth will, the world will be yours and all that's in it. And what's more, you will be a man, my son. <laughs> so he applied it in a worldly way. One who was equal to friends and enemies, who was equal poised in honor and dishonor, heat and cold, happiness and distress, fame and infamy, who was always free from contaminating association, always silent and satisfied with anything, who doesn't care for any fixed residence, who was fixed in knowledge and who was engaged in devotional service. Such a person is very dear to me. Well, I guess it's, this isn't it, a tool for Wait a minute. Well, yeah. Anyway, here's the last one with its... Very, very dear. Bhaktas te tiva. There's the intensifier. Yeah. Ativa. Very, very. Those who follow this imperishable path of devotional service and who completely engage themselves with faith, making me the supreme goal, are very, very dear to me. So it's similar. But yeah, I know what you mean. There's another. It is a song, and there are echoes of other stanzas in the song. 
All right, it's 8.54, but we have a question from Nick Prabhu. Well, I was just, I don't know if I tried to recite this one last time, but I was thinking of um, to those who are constantly devoted to serve me with love, I give the understanding by which they can come to me. Yeah, like that's one of the chapters Loki. Ten point. Ten ten. Yeah, that's huge. If you can, if we can live that one verse, we're back to God. <coughs> You're learning slowly. That's great. Nick told me he's the last four months he's really been bearing down, as they say, at UA, right? <laughs> yeah, so it's, uh, yeah, just keep pouring that nectar in and the nectar will come out. Nectar in, nectar out. Nothing else? Nothing from Michelle? No? Michelle's taking it all in. It comes out at breakfast. <laughs> what about? That's good. <laughs> okay, so dear Dada Prabhu will give us text 31 tomorrow. Yeah, that gets really, let's see. I think, is this where, oh yeah. So this is where we meet. So Manu, enter stage left. You know, Manu comes in. Finally, he's coming in to the picture. Right, Chilapapa Kijai. Mm. Oh, that's the wrong special note here, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be a good event. <laughs>